Welcome back to the Minute Women podcast. No, your ears are not lying to you. This is not Grace. It is producer Mark, and we have a very special story segment because early on in this episode, Linnea thinks that Wendy's is going out of business, and Grace basically has a heart attack. Now, everyone, don't worry. Wendy's not going out of business. However, a company that owns 400 franchises did file for bankruptcy. So Wendy's might be going out of business in your town. I don't really know. Anywho, the reason we're including this story segment is because it's pretty funny to hear Grace break down thinking that Wendy's is going out of business, and she does refer to it a bit in the episode. So we just wanted to let you know, Wendy's isn't closing. You can still get your square patties at a reasonable price. Open late. Wendy's sponsor us. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Minute Women podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Linnea. And we're back for part two. Part two and since part one released, we oh, have yeah. some really exciting news. Do, do, do. We, we reached 10,000 downloads. Yeah, which is really <laughs> exciting. Um, definitely 10,000. Just like that's a big number. Like yeah. you. Five like, figures. Yeah. 10K. 10K, yeah. That sounds better. It does. You wonderful people out there who are listening to us um, have downloaded, on average, each episode of our podcast about 300 times. Yeah. Um, And that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's nice. It's just like, yeah, like, (laughs) literally, like, after the first three episodes came out and we saw how many downloads we got for those episodes, I just remember the day of being like, Oh my god! It's more than just me and my parents listening to it was this, like, and I have that yeah. realization basically every day. I'm like, oh, it's more than just me and my parents listening yeah. to this. No, and my parents have actually really fallen off the wagon. Really? Uh, so when they listen to this episode, this is not a call out, but this is a call out. Wow. Um, <laughs> I'll get I'll get texts every once in a while. That's just like, we're really sorry, haven't listened Mitch to the and newest Catherine one. Get on it. <laughs> they listen to it. It's just yeah. you know at their own pace. That's fair. That's right. Well, I said, I was saying the other day to Grace and Mark that I didn't realize that mine weren't automatically downloading. So I went through and downloaded like <laughs> 12 or something, like just a, just a few weeks ago. A nice little top up for us. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, super exciting stuff. Yeah. We feel super grateful and lucky and just so shocked. Like we didn't, I mean, I, at least speaking for myself, I didn't think that I just thought this would be like a fun little thing we do. And if we got a hundred people to listen, that would be cool. But yeah, I, I always had faith in our idea and us and Mark, but yeah. not, you know, sometimes faith isn't, you know, <laughs> doesn't mean other people are going to like it. Exactly. I knew that we would like it. Yeah. And I guess that's all you can do. Maybe that's like just the most important creative instinct you have oh is gosh. just do what you like to do. And probably other people out there will like it too. I'm going to put that on my quote wall. <laughs> Grace McNutt, do what you like to to do. Next to live, laugh, love. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. I feel all warm and fuzzy inside, which I'm not sure is is us or the McDonald's we got to celebrate. Hashtag McDonald's sponsor us. (laughs) Yeah. Well. Big Macs for days. Wendy's is top of the list. Wendy's is going on a business. What? Yeah. What do you mean? Wendy's is closing all of their stores. They've gone bankrupt. They're going out of business. I don't know if I can process that information. I'm really sorry. I didn't know that you didn't know. I would not have brought it up know. in this manner. Yeah. I'm, you know, it's, it's been a, like, uh, a long <laughs> week 
in some respects. And I gotta say, that's a oof, that's like really a gut. Like I I, oh, I, know. I feel I know. emotionally attached to I Wendy's. I love I'm Wendy's. Genuinely very upset. Yeah, I love Wendy's. When I found out, I'm yeah. I when Are I they got being the initial bought blow, out? I don't think so. I think they're just closing. How could they? How could that happen? They're so much better. I know. How how the heck? How did we let this happen? How is Arby's still a restaurant and Wendy's going how bankrupt? How is Harvey's still around? Oh my around? god, Harvey's is trash. Harvey's is awful. Don't sponsor us, Harvey's. Don't sponsor us, Harvey's. <laughs> Unless, hey, we can be bought out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to put up any walls. Our, <laughs> I can and will be bought our out. Our opinions <laughs> come at a price, but that price is negotiable. <laughs> yeah, I will sponsor anyone as long, or be sponsored by anyone as long as they let me say my feelings about Wendy's. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's a direct Yeah, competitor. I'm really sorry to uh, bring that news up. Okay, well. Yeah. Anyway. The passing of time and the passing of Wendy's. 2020 is really fucking us up. Oh, 2020 has been brutal. I'm over 20. I'm so past 2020. Like, I don't. Yeah. Like, if there was ever the question of, like, would you ever go back in time? Like, maybe until 2020 started, I would be like, yeah, maybe there's a point that I'd go back to. I could relive this much, but, like, nope. never. Because I'm not going back anywhere in 2020. Nope. Because nope. then I'd have to relive 2020. Yeah. No, I... <sighs> the past is horrible. <laughs> That's what we learned. And yeah. you know why the past is horrible? Because the present is terrible. And everybody's dead. And everybody dies and everybody's dead, including yeah. Wendy's. Okay. Um, Anyways, I think on. this has really set the tone for the... Yeah. Um, the so I'm ready. Uncertain so future of Louis Riel that we are currently you facing. You left me yeah. hanging. <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended. Um, with Louis like leaving and being exiled. And he's like Correct. this solo man just on his own. Yes. So um, in our last episode, Louis Riel emerges as this leader in the Métis people yeah. to attempt to stop the forced annexation of the Red River area into Canada. Right. So they create a provisional government at Red River. It's called the Red River Resistance or Rebellion. Mm-hmm. I think it's more commonly called the Resistance today. And the but they goal were of that, they, they were super rebellious. They I were like, like badass. And they create a government, a provisional government with elected representatives to negotiate with the Canadian government. And they negotiate the terms of Red River and what eventually becomes Manitoba okay. into Canada. Okay. But during that process, Louis Riel, he already has a lot of uh, adversaries, but mm-hmm. he executes a man by the name of Thomas Scott. Yeah, but... Who is not the hero that he is made out to be by yeah. a lot of people, but in Ontario, he's used as this like rallying cry to garner support for the anti... Métis, anti-Louis Riel, anti-John A. MacDonald side. Right. So when Manitoba becomes part of Canada, they know that they can never offer him amnesty. Okay. So he flees to the United States in hopes of escaping persecution. And that's where we left off. Yes. So Louis Riel is in exile in the United States. Yes. It is 1870. The year is 1870. (laughs) So his 
Exile doesn't really inhibit his political career. That's good. Um, nor did it keep him entirely out of Canada, so he crosses the border quite a lot. Okay. But no, again... There were no border services back then. <laughs> no. Just the moose. No one to greet you at the border. <laughs> <laughs> However, his amnesty for his actions at Red River, especially the execution of Thomas Scott, was not going to be granted easily. During this period, Louis was staying with priests of the Oblate Order in Plattsburgh, New York. So he's in New York. He's a New Yorker. He's upstate New York. (laughs) And he was introduced to Father Fabian Martin de Barnabé. 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 What a beautiful name. What a beautiful name in the Catholic Church. (laughs) In a nearby village of Keysville. Keysville? So back in Manitoba, on the 2nd of September, 1870, the new lieutenant governor, Adams George Archibald, arrived and set about the establishment of civil government. So now it's becoming a province. Right. And so now they need to set it up like a province. Yeah. However, the results of the first provincial election in December 1870 were promising for Louis, as many of his supporters came to power. So a lot of the people that he was aligned with are now in the provincial government. That's cool. And in the federal government. That's cool for Louis. Nevertheless, stress and financial troubles precipitated a serious illness, perhaps a harbinger of his future mental afflictions, a bit of foreshadowing, um, that prevented his return to Manitoba until May 1871. Okay. So because now he has people, supporters in places of power, he feels like he's safe to come back. Right. But he can't until this kind of illness goes away. Okay. So is he like, is he like bipolar Manic depressive. Yeah, I think that is like the modern diagnosis that's usually given to him. Okay. Um, And throughout his later life, he's often in places of stress. So it seems very um, situationally reactive. Yeah. So like during periods of stress, it seems like it becomes more prevalent. But I think, yeah, like I think manic depressive or like bipolar, whichever of those is the correct term, um, is likely. Okay. Yeah. The settlement now faced a new problem from cross-border Fenian raids coordinated by his former associate, William O'Donohue. So we talked about Fenian raids yeah. in another episode. That's, those did. are Irish nationalists okay. trying to invade Canada. The IRA? Like... <laughs> Basically. Okay. Um, but they're like Irish nationalists in the United States who believe that if they take enough land in Canada, they can negotiate with the British government, and the British government will be like... If you give us, if you give Canada back, we'll give you Ireland. That seems like a lot. (laughs) It's not, it's not the best plan. Yeah. But they are a big nuisance. Okay. They're annoying. Yeah. Get it. Um, Archibald claimed a general call to arms on the 4th of October. Okay. Companies of armed horsemen were raised, including one led by Louis. Oh. When Archibald. There he is. Yeah. So he's back. He's back. Yeah. We're in like the October of 1871. Okay. So he came back in May. When Archibald reviewed the troops in St. Boniface, he made the significant gesture of publicly shaking Louis's hand, signaling a rapprochement had been effected. So there's some sort of like amicable kind of union between them. Yeah. This was not to be. When the news reached Ontario, mayor and members of the Canada First movement, who's like Canada's mega, we talked about in the last episode, um, they whipped up an anti-Riel and anti-Archibald sentiment in Ontario. Ugh. The federal elections... Those guys are big bullies. Yeah, they're just like annoying. They're not nice. With federal elections coming in 1872, McDonald could ill afford further rift 
in Quebec and Ontario relations, and so he did not offer amnesty to Louis. Okay. Instead, he quietly arranged for Taché to offer Louis a bribe of $1,000 to remain in voluntary exile. What? So they're like, we'll give you $1,000 if you leave. That's so stupid. (laughs) This was supplemented by an additional 600 pounds from Smith for the care of Riel's family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, by late June, Louis came back to Manitoba. So he went to the U.S., and now he's back again (laughs) in uh, 1872. Okay. And was soon persuaded to run as a member of parliament for the electoral district of Provence. So now okay. he's like, I'm going to run. Where's that? It's in Quebec, I believe. Okay. Um, or no, sorry, it would be in Manitoba. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, kind of like a French-speaking district of Manitoba. Right. Is Manitoba very French now? I don't know. I don't know what the percentage is. I don't know. It but is, the Métis speak French for the most part. Yeah. So. I mean, I'm very much like grew up on the East Coast, families on the East Coast, born and raised. And it is, it is like I do feel bad because I don't have a lot of knowledge about the kind of the history and makeup of the other provinces of Canada. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And like Manitoba especially, I don't have a really good sense for like language distribution right. outside of like... Ontario and Quebec. Right. I've kind of got, like, the Atlantic Canadian provinces to, like, Ontario. Yeah. Kind of, like, under... And then it's just the And then it's, like, (laughs) the prairies. And then BC. Yeah. And I wouldn't think that there would be a lot of French speaking there, but it seems like Métis anyways. There's quite a bit of French. Yeah. We are a bilingual country. We are a bilingual country. They fought for bilingual rights in Manitoba. Yeah. So he's going to run in the electoral district of Provence. However... Following the early September defeat of Georges-Étienne Cartier and his home riding in Quebec. So Cartier loses, which is like a huge shock. So Louis decides that he's going to step aside so that Cartier can run in Provence. So he's like, you lost there. Why don't you just like come here, run here? And Cartier won. So Louis allows Cartier to take his seat. Cartier wins. And Louis does this for the greater good, but also with hopes that this kind of swift resolution will offer him amnesty. Well, and that Cartier... Like, he's like, all right, I've got a powerful yeah, friend now. Yeah, Cartier's going to be like, oh, like, I owe you one, buddy. And yeah. Louis is going to be like, and about that, I've got some ideas. Yeah, but <laughs> Cartier says, never mind, I'm going to die. So Cartier dies. <laughs> Everybody's dead. Never mind. Cartier <laughs> wins the election and then just I'm drops a, dead. I'm peace out now. Yeah. See you later. So Cartier died Dead. on the 20th of May, 1873. Old age. <laughs> I presume. I don't know. Stupid, stupid Louis. <laughs> in the ensuing by-election in October of 1873, Louis ran unopposed as an independent, although he had again fled. Uh, a warrant had been issued for his arrest in September. Okay. So he's running as an independent, and he's not even in the country. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> How do you do that? How do you do or that? Or he's not then? in the area. Like, there's no social media. Like, how I do know. people know? Just letters. <laughs> he just keeps writing letters. Letters, newspapers, pigeons, pigeons, <laughs> smoke signals. So Louis is making his way to Montreal and fearing arrest or assassination, facilitated as to whether he should attempt to take up his seat in the House of Commons. Okay, I, okay, I just gotta say something here. Let's hear it. The people in Winnipeg. 
Yes. Well, not Winnipeg. Manitoba. Sorry. The people in Manitoba. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like there's some people out to get Louis. Right? Oh, like, yeah. There's people who want to there want people, him dead. He's okay? like a villain to He's a, a villain. People. He's a wanted man. Wouldn't you get as far away as possible? Like, you're close to the border. Wouldn't you just go, like, wouldn't you just go, like, to, like, New York or, like, get down into, like, Philadelphia, like, Pennsylvania or something and just kind of make a new life for yourself? Wouldn't you just step away from that? Yeah, I, I mean, he like, does that why, temporarily. Why does he keep coming back for, like, beatings? Like, why? <laughs> I think it's for the same reason that, like, you and I will never start a coup to overthrow a government, as far as I'm aware. Uh, uh, like, no. I think it just, it's a different breed. Oh, I thought next Tuesday. <laughs> next Tuesday, yeah. <laughs> I had these plans. We have these plans. Oh, did I not send you an invite in the Google Calendar? I'm sorry. No. Next time I will. Gosh. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> First I hear that Wendy is closing. <laughs> now you're not and invited now, to the coup. And now I'm learning that one of my dearest friends hasn't invited me <laughs> to her coup. <laughs> Not the cow. Not not the cow. The overthrowing of a government. I'm deeply shook today. Shooketh. (laughs) But yeah, I think I think Louis is just motivated by different things that would motivate a normal human being. And Louis is not normal. No. So am I I Is this normal? Is this normal? Uh. Yeah. That minute should be applied. That minute quote should be applied to every heritage minute. Literally. Is this normal? No. Saudi episode, which starts having a baby, but doesn't. Is this normal? No. Like <laughs> Vince Coleman at the Telegram. He's like, is this normal? <laughs> the boat on fire in the background. Is that normal? <laughs> Just a different tone. Uh, the, the nitro. The yeah. guy comes out of doing the nitro. Is this, this normal? Like... <laughs> <laughs> the woman falling and she's like I smell burnt toast and the doctor's like is this normal or she's like is this normal like <laughs> I smell burnt toast is this normal she's like I don't know <laughs> let me probe your brain again <laughs> uh, uh, anyway yeah. so Louis is like do I go to parliament do I not go to parliament will I die Edward Blake, the premier of Ontario, <laughs> announced that there was a $5,000 bounty for his arrest. That's so a like, lot of money mm. back then. <laughs> so famously, Louis was the only member of parliament um, who was not present for really important debates, like the Great Pacific Scandal debate in 1873. That the led Great to the- Pacific Scandal. We've talked about it. It's the thing that gets uh, McDonald booted. Oh, it forces him to yeah. resign yeah. Um, yeah, we talk from about government that. in November. Um, liberal leader Alexander McKenzie became the interim prime minister and general elections were held in January 1874. Although the liberals under McKenzie formed the new government, Louis easily retained his seat. Formally, Louis had to sign a register book at least once upon being elected. And he did so under disguise in late January. That's cool. So he like comes to like in disguise, which I love the idea that he's wearing like a gaucho disguise, <laughs> like the glasses and a mustache, but just over his real mustache because Louis <laughs> notoriously has this like really thick mustache. He's very like the way we compare, um, oh, the way we compare Teddy Roosevelt and uh, Naismith. Yeah. I always think of like, because <laughs> like, you know, I visualize them as the same human in different positions, like different circumstances. I'm, I'm excited. So it's always Edgar Allan Poe. So it's like Louis oh, yeah. and like Edgar Allan Poe. And they're both kind of like, they both got some like, Issues. They've both got some the deep rooted issues. Deep seated issues. Some feelings. Um, (laughs) 
Yeah, and whenever I like, like if someone said Louis Riel or someone said Edgar Allan Poe, like I'd picture the same face. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. No, I can totally see that. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, he's in disguise as Edgar Allan Poe, yeah. but it doesn't he's work. Like I'm a poet. <laughs> I'm a poet, and they're like, you're just Louis Riel. It's like, damn it, never more, Not never again. more. <laughs> but I've got a raven. <laughs> don't don't you see? I'm Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> Louis, you're under arrest. <laughs> Louis, no, no. Shut up. <laughs> um, he was nevertheless stricken from the rolls following a motion supported by Schultz, who had become a member of the for the electoral district of Lisgard. So Schultz is that doctor who's like the head of the pro-Ontario movement in Manitoba. Right. Undeterred. I don't like him. Yeah, no. Mm-mm, not a fan. He was kind of a tool. Yep. Undeterred, Louis prevailed again in the resulting by-elections, and although again expelled, his symbolic point had been made, and the public opinion in Quebec was strongly tipped in his favor. Okay. So he keeps running and keeps winning, and then by technicalities, they're like, you can't be in the parliament. And, he's and so like, they kick him out. Um, but he's like, the point isn't to be par- there in parliament. The point is to be like, look at all the public support I have. Yeah. During his time of exile, he was primarily concerned with religious rather than political matters. Spurred on by a sympathetic Roman Catholic priest in Quebec, he was increasingly influenced by his belief that he was divinely chosen as the leader of the Métis. Okay. So this is the point where uh, Louis kind of gets this funny asterisk in a lot of books, is that he like he thinks he's a prophet. He thinks he's like Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Modern biographers have speculated that he may have suffered from the psychological condition called megalomania. Okay. uh, Which I believe is just like extreme narcissism. Okay, so, so, sidebar here. Um, And I am not saying this in like a light manner. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not joking about this. So my uncle, who passed away when I was in grade 10, um, he uh, was a schizophrenic. And there is a period of his life where he was off his meds and is very certain he was at Woodstock. And from what the family can piece together, the timeline fits, like, where he was and such. But he also, like, grew his hair out really long and was very convinced that he was Jesus. Um, Right. So, like, this sounds like a very typical, like, mental health kind of moment to me. And, uh... Yeah. And, like, he... I don't know if he ever thinks like I am Jesus Christ. I think yeah. I like I do think he usually knows who he is. That he's really real. He's just like the but second like, coming. Yeah, it's like yeah. so No, my uncle thought he was Jesus. Right. Yeah. So he um, has this like obsession with power and right. dominating other people. Yeah. To the extent that you would like define it as megalomania. Right, right. So Louis is going through some stuff. Um yeah. his deterior his mental state is deteriorating. Right. And following a violent outburst, he was taken to Montreal, where he was put under the care of his uncle, John Lee, for a few months. Okay. But after Louis disrupted a religious service, so he's, like, at mass and he's, like, having a fit, quote-unquote. Okay. Lee arranged to have him committed in an asylum in Long Point on the 6th of March, 1876, under the assumed name Louis R. David. So he's still also in hiding. Right. So, like, he can't enter medical facilities as himself. Right. Fearing discovery, his doctors soon transferred him to Beauport Asylum near Quebec City under the name Louis Laroche. 
While he suffered from sporadic irrational outbursts, he continued his religious writings, composing theological tracts with an admixture of Christian and Judaic ideas. He consequently began calling himself Louis David Riel, prophet of the New World, and he would pray standing for hours, having servants help to hold him up and hold up his arms in the shape of a cross. Oof. So... We're going into the deep end. Yeah, of, uh, I feel like I'm we just jumped into the ocean. I don't <laughs> yeah. even think we're in the pool. I yeah. think we left the pool the and same, we are in the Atlantic. Sometimes the same spur that can get you to get a whole hundreds of people to follow you and start a revolution is the same that, you know, makes is you think you're a prophet of Jesus. Yep. Nevertheless, he uh, slowly recovered okay. and was released from the asylum on the 23rd of January, 1878. Okay. So that's like two years, though. Also, like, sounds like he made it up with a little lobotomy, which is like... Yeah, I think this might be pre-lobotomy, but I don't know. It is funny, because when you... I just think about how messed up, like, medicine used to be. Yeah, that's true. Like, let's just blood It's definitely before, like, <laughs> ice pick lobotomies. Yeah, okay. Which is, like... A little later in the 1900s. But, yeah, you know, his brain wasn't cut up. That was good. Yeah, I'm really happy for him. (laughs) So he's released on the condition that he's going to lead a quiet life. They're like, we'll let you go, but you're going to be quiet, right? (laughs) Please. (laughs) Please, Louis. So he returns to New York, where he became involved in a passionate romance with a woman by the name of Evelina Martin de Barbonnet. So that's the uh, sister of his friend, the Oblate, the, oh. the father that he met. But with insufficient means to propose marriage, Louis returned to the West, hoping that she might follow. Uh, however, she decided that she would be unsuited for prairie life, and the correspondence soon Girl. ended. I feel you. Yeah, he's like, I love you. And if we just go to this barren land, we can be together. Where and she's just like, I love you too, but I don't know. Yeah, like, I grew up in New York my whole life. She's a New Yorker. She's a New Yorker. We haven't gotten to do New York she doesn't. Yet. She doesn't want to go to where it's so cold. I can't do a New York accent. I think it's going to be cold. <laughs> what about the bodegas? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> You won't have to say that anymore, my love. <laughs> There's nobody walking there. <laughs> hey, I'm not walking over there. That was their last letter. <laughs> I like that. In the fall of 1878, Louis returned to St. Paul, Minnesota, yep. and briefly visited his friends and family. This was a time of rapid change for the Métis of Red River. The buffalo on which they depended were becoming increasingly scarce, the influx of settlers was ever-increasing, and much land was sold to unscrupulous land speculators. Like other Red River Métis who had left Manitoba, Louis headed further west to start a new life. So the Manitoba Act, which promises a lot of protections for the Métis, it's a lot of, like, empty promises. Yeah. And so the other kind of... I think layer to Louis's mental state is that he's like, I've sacrificed everything for this cause. And it was, I was okay with it when it seemed like it worked. Right. And now it's not working. That's Um, a tough realization. Yeah. Traveling to the Montana territory, he became a trader and an interpreter in the area surrounding Fort Benton. Observing rampant alcoholism and its detrimental impact on the Native American oh, and Métis people. Oh, I thought you meant that's what he was doing. Just so observing. He's observing. <laughs> with, with a beer. Yeah. 
Casual. Oh, one's for me they're too. All, okay. They're all standing around drinking their asses off, and he's just there, like, can can I observe? <laughs> no, I don't want to participate. I just, I just want to see it. <laughs> just, just let me watch. Just don't mind me. And he's like taking field notes. Uh, um. So he sees how horrible uh, alcohol is. Uh, and how it's impacting the indigenous and Métis people. So he decided that he would engage in an unsuccessful attempt to curtail the whiskey trade. In 1881, he That's married. Lofty goals. Whoa. That he came out married? of left field. <laughs> so much. Ha- I that, that that came out of left field. Like, who did he marry? four episodes on this Who guy. did he marry? Her name is Marguerite Monet de Belhumeur. God, he likes names. Yeah, they're long. I don't know. It's always do something. Does she know what she's getting herself into? Well, she's an AT, so I think she kind of like knows of him. Um, She young. Yeah, I I just saw her birth date, and I need to check. Yeah, she's like a solid thirteen years younger. Yeah, she's a which is honestly not that bad for this podcast. No, thirteen is like in the acceptable range. Yeah, unless she is (laughs) thirteen. No, she's not 13 at the time. Okay. Thankfully, she's a little older. Because I was older. like, that's a bit concerning. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she's a young Métis, and they got married using, like, Métis practices on the 28th of April. Good uh, for them. So Louis is married. He's hitched. And they have three children. Oh. <laughs> so there are little Louis running around now. This is so... Three kids. It's like in an asylum. Like, you don't expect to have that, like... <laughs> You don't expect to have that, like, post, like, the intermission. You don't expect that to be, like, act two. Like, that's not. He goes from asylum to kids real quick. Like, span of months. Maybe a little too quick, if you know what I'm saying. Potentially. Louis soon became involved in the politics of Montana and in 1882 actively campaigned on behalf of the Republican Party. So he's a Republican. Dude, just but this to be is a like Lincoln Republicans yeah. before Republicans were the bad guys, and at this point, Democrats are the bad guys. Yeah, and now everyone's the bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag twenty twenty. Hashtag twenty twenty. <laughs> he brought a suit against a Democrat for rigging a vote, but was then himself accused of fraudulently inducing British subjects to take part in the election. Yeah. So now he's like getting British people to vote, which I love. I love when someone's just like, hey, you broke the thing. And they're like, no, you broke the thing. <laughs> just like mirror. Yeah. Uno reverse card. Oh, that yeah. That shit. <laughs> Little Jedi mind trick action. So in response, Louis applied for United States citizenship and was naturalized on the 16th of March, 1883. So now he's American. Okay. That's also crazy. Why? He just like, they just like took him in. They were like, yeah, yeah we'll see. I mean, his you. wife is American. Right, 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 right. So, and his kids are all American. Oh, crazy. Little Yankees. <laughs> Little Yankees, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, with two young children, he had by 1884 settled down and was teaching school at the St. Peter's Jesuit Mission in the Sun River District of Montana. So, he's doing what he was told to do. Dude has lived a life. He has lived a life. And when he left the asylum, they were like, you know, Settle Maybe down. calm down. Yeah. Just just settle down, get yourself a wife, have a couple kids, teach school at a mission. And he is. And he is. He's doing what they told him to do. He's following the plan. So 
back in Canada. Yeah. Back where his his other life was. Um, (laughs) Following the Red River resistance, Métis traveled west and settled in the Saskatchewan Valley. Especially along... I've heard of the Saskatchewan Valley. Have you? I have heard of it. It's the one dip in the flat plain that is Saskatchewan. I feel like people from the prairies really like to note that they have a valley. (laughs) A valley. (laughs) So... Especially along the south branch of the river in the country surrounding the St. Lawrence Mission. So a lot of Métis in this, like, one pocket. Yeah. But by the 1880s, it had become clear that the westward migration was no escape from the trouble for the Métis and the Plains Indigenous peoples. Okay. The rapid collapse of the buffalo herd was causing near starvation among the Plains Cree and the Blackfoot First Nations. This was exacerbated by a reduction in government assistance in 1883 and by a general failure of Ottawa to live up to its treaty obligations. So we're building up to the same crisis that Sitting Bull was facing. So in our earlier episode, it's the collapse of the buffalo herd in the U.S. that causes them to start moving northward uh, and participating in the rebellions in the 1880s. The Métis are going through something similar. They moved westward to escape government expansionism, but when they moved further west, they realized that the Buffalo situation is even further, or even further west you go, it gets worse. Right. So now you have a lot of starving people who are also are feeling neglected because they are being neglected yeah. by the Canadian government. Bad mixture. Not good. <laughs> Not good. Bad news bears. The Métis were like... Bad news buffalo. Bad news, buffalo. <laughs> Bad news about the buffalo. Yeah. Uh, there's no buffalo. <laughs> At all. <laughs> the Métis were likewise obliged to give up the hunt and take up agriculture, but this transition was accompanied by complex issues surrounding land claims similar to those that had previously arisen uh, in Manitoba. Moreover, settlers from Europe and eastern provinces were also moving into the Saskatchewan territories, and they too had complaints related to the administration of the territories. Virtually all parties, therefore, had grievances, and by 1884, English settlers, Anglo-Métis, and Métis communities were holding meetings and petitioning a largely unresponsive government for help. Okay. So the situation's bad. Right. Things are not good. In the electoral district of Lauren, a meeting of the South Branch of the Métis was held in the village of Batoche on the 24th of March, and 30 representatives voted to ask Louis Riel to return and represent their cause. Well, let me tell you who was going to love to be called up and told, I need you, we need you. It's like a movie. It's like like calling the cop for, like, their one last mission. He's like, I'm too old for this shit. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. On May 6th, a joint settlers' union meeting was attended by both the Métis and English-speaking representatives of Prince Albert, including William Henry Jackson, an Ontario settler sympathetic to the Métis and known to them as Honoré Jackson, and Jackie Boy, (laughs) James Isbister of the Anglo-Métis. It was decided to send a delegation to ask Louis' assistance in presenting their grievances to the Canadian government. (laughs) So they're like, it worked last time, except it didn't really work. It didn't work at all. (laughs) But they're like his last hope. He's like this beacon of hope for them. And so they're like, what if we can get him back? What if he'll take up our cause? And if we know anything about Louis, he loves a cause. (laughs) He loves a cause. So let me guess Louis is all in. 
So the head of the delegation okay. is sent to Louis. Uh, his name was Gabriel Dumont. And he's okay, like, first off, so is Louis Louis Riel again now? Like, is he Louis Riel? It's just, or does he have a fake name? But, like, after the after the asylum, he's, like, back to just being Louis Riel? So in the U.S., he's not a prisoner. Like, he's not. Uh, right. He, there's no one trying to get him in the U.S. Right. So I so think they he's kinda, living as Louis Riel They kind of, like, know where to find him. Yeah. And I think for the Métis, I mean, his, his pseudonyms were never that great to begin with. He's <laughs> yeah. like... Louis R. <laughs> Louis Laroche. Oh. They'll never tell. <laughs> Is that Edgar Allan Poe? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> we missed him again. Yeah, Edgar Allan Poe, on the other hand, has been in prison for years <laughs> thinking about things Louis Riel. <laughs> That's when he wrote his best works. <laughs> so, um... Gabriel Dumas, he's a respected buffalo hunter, and he's the leader of the Saint Laurent Métis, and he knew Louis back in Manitoba, so they're, mm-hmm. like, cordial. They know each other. Uh, Louis, as you guessed, was very easily swayed to support their cause. Shocking. He's like, oh, I'll do it. He's just uh, been waiting. Let me think about it. I'm in. He's just sitting there, just like, please, please, I hope they come. <laughs> Which... You know, was perhaps not surprising in view of his continuing convictions. Um, And also that he feels like he's divinely selected to lead the Métis. And he's a prophet of this new form of of Christianity. You know, a bit of a put me in coach moment. (laughs) Yeah, except it's God. It's like, put me in God. Wait. Wait for your time. Oh, my God. Why this God? That's a great God. Sound like a... Busted Darth Vader. <laughs> I was gonna say that it sounds like if you mixed um, James Earl Jones uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. What? <laughs> if James Earl Jones didn't voice Darth Vader but voiced the Terminator instead, yeah, sounds like this. It's exactly like that. So Louis is all in, and Louis also intended to use the new position of influence to pursue his own land claims in Manitoba. So okay. he's like, I'm gonna get my own land. And that's going to be great. So the party departed uh, Montana on the 4th of June, and they arrived in Batoche on the 5th of July. So he's back. He's back, he's baby. He's back, baby. <laughs> Upon his arrival, Métis and English settlers alike form an initially favorable impression of Louis, following a series of speeches in which he advocated moderation and a reasoned approach. So okay. let's be reasonable. That's that's the, the quote well, of the day. I don't think I've ever heard a politician say that. <laughs> Let's be reasonable. During June of 1884, the Plains Cree leader, Big Bear and Poundmaker. Big Bear. And Poundmaker. <laughs> I'm sorry. No. It's just a little it's funny. It's not funny. But I do, I enjoy the names. And you know, like we talked about this in the sitting bull one. I just want to know those stories of and how these names came to be because. Well, I did look that up afterwards oh, okay. and it is something that is given to you over time. Okay. And so Sitting Bull, for example, his original name was not Sitting Bull. It was cool. something else. It was like, I think it was like Jumping Rabbit or, or something along those lines. Okay. Someone will have to check that for me. But it became Sitting Bull after a specific hunt. Right. Where he was like patient and he like was like That's really accurate cool. and managed to kill but this bull. But what did you see? These are Big Bear? Big Bear and Pound Maker. I bet Big Bear gives real good hugs. Oh. Or maybe he doesn't. And maybe it's kind of like Big Bear. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> 
So they were independently formulating their complaints and subsequently held meetings with Louis. However, the native grievances were quite different from those of the settlers and nothing was resolved. So there's also like rifts in this like anti-Canada movement. Okay. Inspired by Riel, Honoré Jackson and representatives of other communities set about drafting a petition, and Jackson, on the 28th of July, released a manifesto detailing grievances and the settlers' objectives. A joint English-Métis Central Committee, with Jackson acting as secretary, worked to reconcile proposals from different communities. In the interim, Riel's support began to waver. Ooh, not good. Not good. So after Louis's religious pronouncements became increasingly heretical, oh uh, the clergy began distancing themselves from him. So the oh. priests are like, Ugh. and Father Alexis Andre cautioned Louis against mixing religion and politics. Separation of church and state. Yep. <laughs> Which is a thing from a priest. Yeah. Priest is like, maybe don't make this all about God. <laughs> like, Please. Just a word of advice from the big guy upstairs, Louis. Leave him out of it. (laughs) Also, in response to bribes by territorial lieutenant governor and Indian commissioner Edgar Dundee, local English language newspapers adopted an editorial stance critical of Louis. So now English newspapers are just like razzing him again. Ooh, he does not like that. He does not. He does not. And the newspapers are so persuasive. (laughs) Yeah. Nevertheless, the work continued, and on the sixteenth of December. Riel forwarded the committee's petition to the government, along with suggestions that delegates be sent to Ottawa to engage in direct negotiation. So similar to like what happened in Manitoba. It's the same same tactics. Right, right, right. The receipt of the petition was acknowledged by Joseph Adolphe Chaplot. Adolf, not a name we see much anymore. (laughs) Uh, Who was McDonald's Secretary of State. Although McDonald himself would later deny having ever seen it. Which, again, is just like, I don't know. <laughs> this happened in the last episode. It's like, in an alcoholic haze, I just... <laughs> I forgot. I'm not sure. It's like, I don't... Oh, yeah, can you ever confirm or deny having read the document? Uh, <laughs> uh, just a reminder, Adolf, you're under oath. <laughs> yeah. I swear I gave it to the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister's like, um, eh, no <laughs> This time, (laughs) don't you guys just want to dance? (laughs) Who was prime minister at this time? McDonald J. Oh, yeah. So he's gone, and then he comes back. Right. Okay. This is near the end of his life, though. Okay. (laughs) He's almost not prime minister for much longer. Right. Because the last bit was a bit. He wasn't really there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He was probably that impression was probably spot on. Did you know my brother was brutally murdered in front of me? Can I tell you about my trauma for just a second? Oh, my God. (laughs) I never saw a petition. (laughs) Who's knowing? You mean Edgar Allan Poe? I know that guy. I love his poems. And you know what else I love? Margaritas. (laughs) Margaritas. <laughs> you guys want to get Wendy's? Oh, wait. No, we can't. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Cut deep. <laughs> that one cut deep. Okay. Um, 
By then, many original followers had left, and there were only 250 people remaining at Batosh uh, when it fell in May of 1885. Okay. So now we have, like, this is the beginning of, like, the Northwest Rebellions, which we talk about yep. um, in the Sitting Bull. So these are the yep. conflicts that Sitting Bull is a part right, of as right, well. Right, right, right. So while Louis awaited news from Ottawa, he considered returning to Montana, but had by February resolved to stay. Without a productive course of action, Louis began to engage in obsessive prayer, which is super productive, and was experiencing a significant relapse in his mental agitations. This is what the doctors told him not to do. They said to just buy a ranch in Montana and live there with your wife. And your babies. And your babies. Just keep making babies. Every time you feel like talking to Jesus, make another baby. Just make another baby. (laughs) This one's for the Lord. So this led to a deterioration in his relationship with the Catholic hierarchy as he publicly espoused an increasingly heretical doctrine, which is essentially like, I'm Jesus. Oh, God. Which is heretical. (laughs) Oh, this man. This poor, poor man. I know it's not funny. But you're funny. You're so funny. On the 11th of February, 1885, a response to the petition was received. The government proposed to take a census of the Northwest Territories and to form a commission to investigate grievances. This angered a faction of the Métis, who saw it as a mere delaying tactic, and they favored instead to take up arms at once. So the rebellion is on. Okay. Louis became the leader of this faction, but he lost support from almost all the Anglophones and Anglo-Métis, the Catholic Church, and the great majority of the First Nations. He also lost the support of the Métis faction supporting local leader Charles Nolin. So now there's, like, a division amongst the Métis. But Louis, undoubtedly influenced by his belief in Jesus and belief that he is a prophet, um, became increasingly supportive of this course of action so he's like blood through blood is the only way that this can be achieved (laughs) in the church at saint laurent on the 15th of march louis disrupted a sermon to argue for this position following which he was barred from receiving the sacraments which is a big deal in the catholic church it's a big deal big deal i'm not even catholic and i know that that's a big deal when they bar you from something catholics mean business they mean it yeah you can't have our bread anymore or (gasps) the wine (sighs) take that what are you going to do? Cry. <laughs> Cry. Pray obsessively. <laughs> <laughs> or the Hail Mary all day. Praise obsessively. <laughs> <laughs> but he spoke more and more about his divine revelations. And he's becoming disenchanted with the status quo. And it's swayed by Louis' charisma and eloquent rhetoric. Hundreds of Métis did remain loyal to okay, him. Okay, okay. So he does have his faction. Right. But it's just not as a united front as it once was. Right. On the 18th of March, it became known that the Northwest Mounted Police garrison at Battleford was being reinforced. Although only 100 men had been sent in response to the warnings from Father Alexis Andre and the Northwest Mounted Police Superintendent Crozier, or Crozier, Crozier, we've talked about him before, a rumor soon began to circulate that 500 heavily armed troops were advancing into the territory. So there's not 500 but that's what they think is oh happening. Gosh. Okay. <laughs> Métis patience was exhausted, and Louis's followers seized arms, took hostages, and cut the telegraph lines between Batoche and Battleford. Oh, see telegraphs. The provisional government of Saskatchewan was declared at Batoche on the 19th of March, and with Louis as the p- 
political and spiritual leader and Dumont assuming responsibilities for military affairs. So now he is at the head of a second provisional government. Oh, good Lord. Louis formed a council called the Exovidate, which means it's a created word. It's like a made up fake neo-Greek word, which means those who have left the flock. Ugh. Which the black sheep, basically, yeah, the ones who die first, <laughs> and uh, they sent representatives to the court of Poundmaker and Big Bear on the twenty first of March. Big Bear, Big Bear. <laughs> on the twenty first of March, Louis' emissaries demanded that Crozier surrender Fort Carlton, but this was refused. He's like, "We demand it," and he's like, "No, nope." <laughs> The situation was becoming critical, and on the 23rd of March, Dundee sent a telegraph to MacDonald indicating that military intervention might be necessary. Scouting near Duck Lake on the 26th of March, a force led by Gabrielle Dumas unexpectedly chanced upon a party from Fort Carlton. In the ensuing Battle of Duck Lake, a fierce battle, <laughs> Duck Lake. <laughs> the Battle of I always feel bad Duck Lake. when battles don't have cool names. The Battle of Duck Lake. <laughs> It was a turning point. <laughs> 500 dead on both sides. I don't know if that's true. Anyways, uh, so in the ensuing battle, the police were routed and the indigenous peoples also rose up once the news became known. The die was cast for a violent outcome and the Northwest Rebellion was underway. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Louis had counted on the Canadian government being unable to effectively respond to another uprising in the distant Northwest Territories, thereby forcing them to accept political negotiation. This was essentially the same strategy that had worked to such great effect during the 1870 rebellion. In that instance, the first troops did not arrive until three months after Louis seized control of Red River. Okay. However, Louis had completely overlooked the significance of the Canadian Pacific Railway. Mm. Despite some incomplete gaps, the first Canadian regulars and militia units under the command of Major General Frederick Milton arrived in Duck Lake less than two weeks after Louis made his demands. So the big difference now is that you have infrastructure. Right. So it's like... And I find it interesting that he didn't recognize it because a big trigger for the 1870 rebellion is the construction of a road that they know will just allow the Canadian government to annex um, the area. Well, he's gone through some stuff. That's true. He's probably not thinking. So God didn't tell him about the train. God doesn't believe in trains. <laughs> God doesn't need no train. God don't need a train. Knowing that he could not defeat the Canadians in direct confrontation, Dumont had hoped to force the Canadians to negotiate by engaging in a long, drawn-out campaign of guerrilla warfare. Dumont achieved a modest success along these lines at the Battle of Fish Creek on the 24th of April, 1885. Fish Creek and Duck Lake. <laughs> Duck Lake, Fish Creek. Louis, however, insisted on concentrating forces at Batoche to defend his, quote, city of God. So now he's going over the head of his military advisor. Oh, dear. Which is not good. <laughs> the outcome of the ensuing Battle of Batoche, which took place from the 9th to 12th of May, was never in doubt. And on the 15th of May, a disheveled Louis surrendered to Canadian forces. Oh. Although Big Bear's forces managed to hold out until the Battle of Loon Lake on the 3rd of June, <laughs> the rebellion was a dismal failure for the Métis and the Indigenous allies alike as they surrendered or fled. Wow. Several individuals closely tied to the government requested that Louis' trial be held in Winnipeg in July 1885. 
Some historians contend that the trial was moved to Regina because of concerns of the possibility of an ethnically mixed and sympathetic jury, so they don't want him tried in front of Métis people. Right. Tom Flanagan states that an amendment of the Northwest Territories Act, which dropped the provision that trials with crimes punishable by death should be tried in Manitoba, meant that the trial could be convened within the Northwest Territories and did not have to be held in Winnipeg. So they literally changed the act so they wouldn't have to try him in Winnipeg. Prime Minister Sir John A. Macdonald ordered the trial to be convened in Regina, where Louis was tried before a jury of six English and Scottish Protestants, all from the area surrounding the city. The trial began on the 28th of July, 1885, and lasted five days. Louis delivered two long speeches during the trial, defending his own actions and affirming the rights of the Métis people. He rejected his lawyer's attempt to argue that he was not guilty by reason of insanity, asserting, quote, life without the dignity of an intelligent being is not worth having. So he refused to be tried as an insane person. Which you probably should have done there, bud. The jury found him guilty and recommended mercy. Oh. Nonetheless, Judge Hugh Richardson sentenced him to death with the date of his execution initially being set for the 18th of September, 1885, which is tomorrow in in our world. (laughs) That's wild. One juror later stated, we tried Riel for treason and he was hanged for the murder of Scott. So they're all like, we know why he was sentenced to death. And it's because of this holdover from killing Thomas Scott. So stupid. Louis regretted his opposition to the defense of insanity. <laughs> uh, in retrospect, hindsight's twenty twenty, you know. And uh, if I could take it back, I think I fucked up. Yeah, I fucked up, guys. <laughs> oh dear. Um, and vainly attempted to provide evidence that he was not sane. So now he's like, look how crazy I am. <laughs> I'm fucking crazy. <laughs> Rubs toothpaste in his mouth. I'm rabid. <laughs> I've got rabies. (laughs) I would like to be my client. (laughs) Clearly has rabies. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, it's insanity, not rabies. I would like to have a word with my client. (laughs) My client is pretending that he has rabies. Rabies. Because he's He's insane. insane. (laughs) Oh, Okay, so Louis's been sentenced. I know that's I'm hilarious, but <laughs> Louis has been sentenced to death. To death by hanging. By I'm hanging. assuming. Um, yes. Okay, but he's requesting a retrial. <laughs> An appeal to the judicial community of the Privy Council of Britain was denied. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, eh, no, they're over it. Sir John A. Macdonald, who is instrumental in upholding Louis's sentence, is famously quoted as saying, "He shall die, though every dog in Quebec." bark in his favor which i don't think that's nice oh no he's gonna die even though all these dogs want him to live aka french people okay yeah that's not nice (laughs) though there is a huge he does have a lot of support okay (laughs) well i I mean at least like it's not nice but it's nice to know that at least it's recognized even by someone like johnny mcdonald that like you actually do have people who support you yes it's just not the right people it's true yeah (laughs) So before his execution, Louis was, he reconciled with the Catholic Church um, and assigned Father Andre as his spiritual advisor. He was also given writing materials so he could employ his time in prison to write a book. 
Um, Louis Riel was hanged for treason on the 16th of November, 1885, at the Northwest Mounted Police Barracks in Regina. Mm -hmm. Now, his final moments are what's in the Heritage Minute, but we actually have his final moments recounted by Charles Bolton, who visited him in prison, who was also um, the guy that he he spares and then eventually executes Thomas Scott. Right. So Bolton was there. Um, and so we have his account of what happened. Oh, wow. Um, he said, Père André, after explaining to Riel that the end was at hand, asked if he was at peace with men. Riel answered, yes. The next question was, do you forgive all your enemies? Yes. Riel then asked if he might speak. Father André advised him not to do so. <laughs> He then received the kiss of peace from both the priests and Father André exclaimed in French, Alors, allez au ciel, meaning so to heaven. Riel's last words were to say goodbye to to Dr. Jukes and thank him for his kindness. And just before the white cap was pulled over his face, he said, Remerciez, Madame Forget, meaning thanks, Miss Forget. Uh, Which is, I think, cooler than the prayer yeah. Like, he's like, thank you, Mrs. Forget. Like, yeah. Like, all of these things will be forgotten. Yeah. Like, it's the only thing that you can really, like, ever be grateful for yeah. in some ways is that nothing lasts forever. Yeah. Um, wow. So he continues, the cap was pulled down, and while he was praying, the trap door was pulled. Death was not instantaneous. <sighs> Luriel's pulse ceased four minutes after the trap door oh, fell, fuck. and during that time, the rope around his neck slowly strangled and choked him to death. This got grim. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. The, well, oh, you know, death. <laughs> <laughs> the body was to have been interred inside the gallows enclosure, and the grave was commenced, but an order came from the lieutenant governor to hand over the body to Sheriff Chaplot, which was accordingly done that night. Hmm. Louriel was seen as a heroic victim by French Canadians. His execution had a lasting negative impact on Canada, polarizing the new nation along ethno-religious lines. Yeah. Although only a few hundred people were directly affected by the rebellions in Saskatchewan, the long-term result was that the prairie provinces would be controlled by Anglophones, not Francophones. Yeah. An even more important long-term impact was the bitter alienation of Francophones across Canada, Um, and the anger against the repression of their countrymen. Louis Riel's historical reputation has long been polarized between portrayals as a dangerous, half-insane religious fanatic and a rebel against the Canadian nation, or, by contrast, a heroic rebel who fought to protect his Francophone Métis people from the unfair encroachment of Anglophone-Canadian national governments. He is increasingly celebrated as a proponent for multiculturalism, although that downplays his primary commitment to the Métis nation and political independence. Yeah. That's the story of Louis Riel. Wow. And, like, both of these episodes are crazy dumbed down. Yeah. I could have, like, someone who had more time and probably knows, like, the geographic history a little better than me could have written, like... And they do. They write, like, books about Louis Riel. Yeah. He's such an interesting person. Like, personally, he's interesting. Do we know, and this is just, like, me, but do we know what happened to his children? Like... I know one of his sons dies pretty early. Okay. um, But I don't think they go on to be, like, big, like, following his footsteps, necessarily. I think they mostly just live a fairly quiet life. And I know his wife dies fairly 
shortly after he does. Like, she dies fairly young, and I I don't know specifically why. I mean, for a lot of indigenous people, it's, like, tuberculosis and, like, really horrible illnesses that they don't get health care for. But I'm sure having a dad who thought he was a prophet probably isn't great for your mental state. Um, (laughs) Or you're, like, just life in general. Yeah. Yeah. it's, It's interesting to, like... You gotta like. I don't know if like, if he had been granted amnesty, would his life have been a lot different? If he had not had a mental illness, just imagine. Yeah, yeah. And but I mean, but then if he didn't have a mental illness, which is like what we're looking at it as now in twenty twenty, um, do you think he would have done anything at all? You know, because with that comes passion. Yeah, it's always like the the story about like tortured artists yes and I know that like from what I've read and seen anyways is that there's this big like it's like my mental illness is not what makes me creative but like I'm a very creative person and I happen to have a a mental illness that people fear treatment because they think that's what's causing their creative inspirations so I don't know maybe Louis falls into a similar category of like I don't want to treat this because yeah. that is what gives me all of my passion and, and my, my drive. My drive. And, yeah. Um, even if it would make me happier, quote unquote. Well, but. yeah. I think this was an incredible choice for our first two-parter. Um, yeah. Thank I, you. It was yeah. necessary. I didn't know a lot about Louis Riel before we started uh, these two episodes. And so uh, thank you for teaching me some stuff and taking me on that journey. (laughs) That was a journey. I promise the next one's not in the prairies. Okay. (laughs) We're going to move to a new geographic area. Um, Hey, everyone. So, again, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you aren't already following us on our social media channels, get on it. What are you doing with your lives? Uh, we are in a global pandemic. You're probably working from home. Just do it. Um, our Instagram is at Minute Women Podcast, as well as our Facebook. And then on Twitter, we're at The Minute Women. We also have a fantastic website that has all of the episodes, information about Grace and I, uh, links to all of the sources, all of that stuff. Uh, and that's at www.minutewomenpodcast.ca. So check those out. Follow us. If you have any questions, send us a message. We love to hear from you. Yeah. Thanks so much. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to us on. Make sure you download the episodes. Thank you again for 10,000 episodes Holy this week. Cow. Super exciting. Uh, um, and We may have cried a little. You know, casual, casual. (laughs) And if you are an Apple Podcast user, especially, please leave us a review, leave us a star rating. It's the most support. And tell all your friends, word of mouth is the best recommendation. Yes, please. All right, bye. Bye.